appreciate the Ministry of Music this morning and also the selection of uh, Days of Elijah by uh, the uh, praise band. thought it was very appropriate and fitting for our message today. This morning, we're going to be focusing upon the promise of the Lord's return and the truths that are associated with the Lord's return. Unfortunately, there are a lot of fictionalized accounts of the Lord's return that undermine the truths and certainty of that return. Even more disturbing is that these fictionalized accounts are promoted in evangelical circles. Books have been written, movies have been made, predictions have been offered that are nothing more than the figments of people's imaginations. They are not the truth, and they do not declare accurately what is going to take place when the Lord's return. And gullible people accept these fictionalized accounts as though they were the truth. They believe them. They respond to them as though they are the truth. And even more disturbing is that they are used in evangelistic ways as though that somehow gives them credibility to deceive people into trying to place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to stand against falsehood when it definitely is approaching the scriptures. This morning, we're focusing on the truths of what the Word of God says about the Lord's return. The false predictions of the Lord's return have the effect of the young boy in the fable who cried, wolf, wolf, when there was no wolf, and when the wolf actually came and he cried, wolf, no one believed him. So too, the false predictions and the sensationalism that surrounds much of the teaching of the Lord's return has caused many to lose confidence in that great truth. Second Peter warns us in verse 3 of chapter 3, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Where is the promise of his coming? Why hasn't he come? There will be scoffing, ridicule, mocking the truth of the Lord's return. It's important to keep in mind that when we follow the scriptures, we are not following fictionalized accounts which speak of the Lord's return. Peter is writing to a people to stir them up by encouraging them to keep in mind the great promises of God. These great promises include the promises concerning the Lord's return. Remember that when we speak of the Lord's return, we are speaking of the truth. The key verse this morning is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. If you're not in there, I would encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to that passage. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. And notice what it states. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power 
and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter begins by denying allegations that the apostles were teaching falsehoods about the Lord's return. He is stating with an absolute certainty that we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made to you known to you the power and coming of our Lord. The apostles were not deceived and they were not deceiving others when they spoke of the Lord's return. Peter then offers two evidences of the truthfulness of the Lord's return. Two very reliable sources for the truths associated with the Lord's return. The first source is the eyewitness accounts of the apostles, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the proof and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Their own personal eyewitness. The second source is the teaching of scriptures, verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place, and the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This morning, I am just going to deal with verses 16 through 18. That is the eyewitness of the apostles. Lord willing, next week, I will consider the section dealing with the confidence that we can have in the scriptures. So as we think of the Lord's return, the emphasis is on not just the reality of the Lord's return, but on the nature of his return. It isn't simply that he is coming, but how he is coming. That is, Jesus is coming in power, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we speak of the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not speaking of two separate ideas, but rather one conjoined idea. That is, we are referring to the powerful coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how that should be understood. The powerful coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes, he comes in power. That is the emphasis of this morning and the emphasis of this passage. Jesus is coming in power. Jesus himself bore witness to the fact that his second coming would be a powerful coming. It would be a powerful coming for it would come with displays of great power. In the book of Mark, Jesus says this to his disciples. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens are shaken. All the authorities, all the powers in heaven are going to shake. They are going to tremble before the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 28. And then we will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power 
and glory. Those are Jesus' words. Then we will see the Son of Man coming with great power and glory. The second coming is unlike Jesus' first coming. In Jesus' first coming, Jesus came in weakness. He came as a babe, lying in a manger. He came in great humility, in very austere surroundings, lying in a manger. We have the emphasis of the triumphal entry when Jesus came into Jerusalem. And it reads, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. In Jesus' first coming, there was the emphasis on meekness and on humility, on humbleness and on austerity. And then this great king, of course, dies on the cross, lays down his life. The second coming will reveal the great power of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ returns, he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will come in the display of great power. And that power is going to be manifested in two specific ways. First, he will come with the power to save, the power to deliver, the power to conquer, and sin and death will be no more. The dead in Christ will rise, and we will be with him forever in a glorious state and under his reign, and we will reign with him. He will come with the power to save, and he will come with the power to judge. At that point, there will be no more mocking. There will be no more ridicule. There will be no more rebellion against Jesus. For he will come in power and great glory. Every knee will bow before him. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When he comes, he comes in power. The power to save and the power to judge will be more fully considered in the weeks to come. Peter has much to say about that. But our attention turns this morning to the eyewitness accounts of the apostles that give credence to the idea that Jesus' second coming will be a powerful coming. The eyewitness accounts give credence to the idea that Jesus' second coming will be a powerful coming. First, we want to note that it is not just the eyewitness accounts of Peter, but the eyewitness accounts of Peter, James, and John. Up until this point in the book of 2 Peter, Peter is speaking of his own situation, and he speaks in the first person. 
Notice in verses 12 through 15, the singular personal pronoun, starting at verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in them that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know the putting off my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these truths. So Peter is talking about truths that he wants them to be grounded in. The first truth is the truth of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he switches to the plural pronoun, we, to include the other apostles, verse, eight, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of, of this majesty. So it's not just Peter's word, but it's the word of Peter, James, and John, we will see as we unfold this portion of Scripture. What Peter is saying is not limited to his own testimony, but it is reflected in his testimony, James' testimony, John's testimony, and their teaching as well. In the text, what Peter is referring to are the events that took place on which eventually came to be known as the Mount of Transfiguration during the earthly ministry of Jesus. Notice in 2 Peter 1.18, it says, We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mount. We were with him on the holy mount. He's talking about the mount that we've come to know as the Mount of Transfiguration. The account of the Mount of Transfiguration is given to us in Matthew 17, 1 to 5, Mark 9, 2 to 7, and Luke 9, 28, 35. This morning, we are going to be focusing on the account that occurs in Matthew chapter 17. And if you received my email this morning, I had asked you to, to read the Second Peter account and the Matthew chapter 17 account for they dovetail, for it is that account that Peter is referring to. We learn from Matthew chapter 17 that it is Peter, James, and John that bore witness to these things. Matthew 17, 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a mountain by themselves. And you may want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17, but be sure to put a bookmark here. We're going to be going back and forth as we look at these accounts. <clears throat> but right now, we're staying in 2 Peter chapter 1. We find out that the apostles bear witness to what they have seen with their own eyes and what they heard with their own ears. What they have seen with their own eyes and what they have heard with their own ears. Notice the apostles bear witness to what they have heard with their, 
their own ears in verse 18. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. We ourselves. Verse 16, they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then the emphasis is that they were right there. No one told them these things. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this very voice from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mount. The emphasis is on their eyewitness account. They heard, they saw, they were there. Because he's addressing this issue of following fictionalized tales. He's saying, we didn't follow any fictionalized tales. We were there. What I'm telling you is what I saw. And not just telling you about what I saw. I'm telling you what Peter saw, James saw, and John saw, and what we heard that bears witness to the powerful coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks of Peter's assurance of what he is saying is true. He has seen these events with his own eyes. He has heard them with his own ears. He was there. He saw it. He heard it. He was not alone. Others were with him who saw and heard the same things. He is not making this stuff up. He's not just following a bunch of stories that have been handed down by tradition. He knows whereof he speaks. So then the obvious question is, what did they see and what did they hear that bore witness to the powerful coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? So what did they see and what did they hear? Well, they saw Jesus' magnificence. They saw his magnificence. Look at verse 16 of 2 Peter 1. For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. His majesty. Majesty refers to splendor and grandeur of Christ. It points to the very nature of Christ, his being. And in particular, it refers to the brightness of Jesus' radiance. This, this splendor refers to the, the radiating light that came forth from Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 17, if you can flip there where we read the account, Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1, it says, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led him up on a high mountain by themselves. And now this account, verse 2, and he was transfigured before them. His <clears throat> figure, <clears throat> his bodily presence took on a whole new likeness, if you will, he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. So there's this incredible light that is radiating from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his face was not just bright, 
but it is as bright as the sun that you cannot even look upon with a bare eye, or it would blind you. That is what they saw. They saw and heard God the Father give honor and glory to the Lord Jesus. Verse 17 now of 2 Peter. Got to be flipping back and forth here. 2 Peter 1.17 For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. How did they know that it was God the Father that was speaking? They knew it for it was God the Father as he revealed his Shekinah glory. Look at verse 17. And when he received, that's Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. That's referring to the majestic glory of God the Father. This majestic splendor. They saw the majestic splendor of God. That account comes in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son. This, this bright cloud that's described in Matthew 17, 5 is referred to as the majestic glory in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. This majestic glory is the very same Shekinah glory that was seen in the Old Testament. God would make his presence known through his Shekinah glory. That great radiant light would demonstrate his presence. In the book of Exodus, we have the account of the cloud of Shekinah glory in association with the tabernacle. Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. He couldn't even enter into it. It was so bright, it was so, so glorious, he had to just back away from this incredible manifestation of the presence of God. In the book of 1 Kings, when the temple is dedicated and the Ark of the Covenant is brought into the temple and placed in the most holy place, we read this account. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand and minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. This great manifestation of this light just filled and they could not even enter into that presence. That Shekinah glory is what appeared 
to Peter, James, and John as they were on the mount. God spoke to them from his Shekinah glory. What did they hear? They heard the voice emanating from the cloud. For it tells us in Matthew 17, 5. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said. So they heard the voice of God himself. What did it say? Well, first the voice said that Jesus was God's beloved son. Verse 17. And the voice came to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son. This statement attests to Jesus' deity. And we know that this attested Jesus' deity. For the glory of Jesus is the very same glory as that of God the Father. I'm sorry we're flipping back and forth, but now if you look back at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For when he, that is Jesus, verse 17, received honor and glory from God the Father, and a voice was born to him, now these words, by the majestic glory, that Shekinah glory, Look at verse 18. For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. It's the same word. It's the same word. The transfigured glory of Jesus is the Shekinah glory. It's the same glory as the cloud. Just as bright. Just as holy. Just as magnificent. Jesus is God. And they saw the attestation with their own eyes. And they heard with their own ears God the Father say, This is my beloved Son. He's God in the flesh. He's God in the flesh. Not only did the voice say that Jesus was his son, but the voice also said that he was well pleased with him. Notice Matthew 17, 5. He was still speaking, and behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son. Now these words, with whom I am well pleased. Thus the Father was accepting of the Son. Not only was the Father accepting of the Son, but the Father was accepting of the sacrifice of the Son. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 6 and 7, it says, In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, this is Jesus speaking, Behold, 
I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. God took no pleasure in the offerings of the Old Testament. They did not satisfy the holiness and justice of God, but he took pleasure in his son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. I am satisfied with all that he says and does and is doing. It is the divine attestation as Jesus is going to the cross that he is doing the work of God. And they heard it and they saw it. It is significant that Christ's death is spoken of in the transfiguration as an exodus. In Luke chapter 9, in the account of the transfiguration, we find out that Moses and Elijah are also there when they are speaking with Jesus. And Moses and Elijah and Jesus were told about what they're speaking about. Luke 9.31, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. This word for departure in Greek is exodus. Exodus. He was accomplishing the exodus. Now think about the book of Exodus, which means the departure. What does the book of Exodus teach us about the power and glory of God? It teaches us that God can deliver, that God can save, that God can conquer all his enemies. And that there is no obstacle too great that can keep his people out of the promised land. Which corresponds to heaven. The second great truth that's taught in the Exodus is God's judgment. God has the power to judge. And you know the plagues. And you know the hardships that came upon the people of Egypt as God poured out his wrath in judgment on all those that refused to bow their knee to God. Jesus tells us is accomplishing the exodus, the deliverance of his people and the judgment that is going to come on this world. I know we're looking at a lot of scripture this morning, but I invite you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 2. With me. Psalm chapter 2. For we find these elements present in this great Old Testament psalm as well. Psalm 2. Teaches us that at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, he will both deliver his people and judge the world. Starting at Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds as asunder 
and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. Verse 9, speaking of his power, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Verse 12, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Kiss the son. Love the son. Bow to the Son. Worship the Son, lest you perish. The day is coming. All laughter will cease. All mockery will be done. For he's going to come in power and great glory. He will deliver his people, and he will bring judgment to all those that have not kissed the Son. Peter is once again saying, you can trust these words. 2 Peter 1.18. 2 Peter 1.18. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him in the Holy Mount. We heard these words. We heard what it said. It was a foretaste. We saw the power. We heard of his power. We know that he's going to come in power. We have seen the display with our own eyes. In the transfiguration, in all three accounts, not in our, in our text, but it's in all three accounts, and it will come up later in Second uh, Peter when we look at the applications that are going to come in chapter 3. But in all three accounts, we have this. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, this is what's in all three accounts. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Listen to what he has to say to you. It is God the Father's mark of approval on the ministry of Jesus. Listen to what he said. And it's Jesus who said, I am coming in great power and in great glory. It was Jesus who declared what his second coming was going to be like. And God the Father says, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Listen to Jesus. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. 
and whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus offers salvation to all who place their faith and trust in him. He died on the cross to take away the sins of all those who will believe in him. If you kiss the Son, you'll be delivered on the day of his coming. You'll be ushered into his presence and reign with him. But if you do not kiss the Son, if you refuse to believe in Jesus, if you refuse to bow the knee and acknowledge him as King of kings and Lord of lords, as who he says he is, if you fail to worship him as the true God, the very Son of God, equal with the Father, the same Shekinah glory, if you reject the deity of Christ, it's judgment. Judgment. And he comes with power. He will fulfill it. He will carry it out. So as Peter is writing these farewell words, as we saw two weeks ago, he's preparing the people to, to remember what are the important things. As he will no longer be on the scene, he says this, remember, we did not follow cleverly devised tales when he told you about the powerful coming of the Lord Jesus. We, with our own eyes, saw the majesty of Jesus. We, with our own words, heard the words of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. We must put our faith and trust in Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming again in power and great glory. He will be raised up. He will be exalted. He will not come as the babe in a manger. He will come riding on a stallion as the great conqueror. He will be given all authority and power to deliver and to judge. So knowing all these things, first, we should submit to the power and authority of the Lord Jesus as it's revealed to us. Acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior. Know that he died because we are a sinful people he said, no man comes unto the Father but by me. With, apart from Jesus, you have no hope of eternal life. None. None. It's wishful thinking. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. And not only is it wishful thinking, but it's a hopeless hope. It's without foundation. It's without reality. The only way to be in the presence of God for all eternity is by placing your faith and trust in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. We who have believed in Jesus need to be patient. 
You need to wait. He's coming. He's coming. And don't let all the false predictions and, and all the hoopla and all the sensationalism take away from what is essential to understand is he is coming back. And as we find later in Second Peter, it says, with him one day is as a thousand years. He's coming back. Just think of how long the people had to wait from the time of the Garden of Eden when Jesus first announced when he was born. Centuries passed. Millennia passed. He came. He's coming again. And he's coming in power and great glory. Patience for the people of God. Secondly, live a life of godliness as we anticipate standing before his presence. Knowing that we're going to give account and knowing that we have the opportunity of hearing those precious words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. May that motivate us today in godly living. And lastly, let us live a life of confidence, knowing that this world is under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day, every wrong is going to be made right. Every injustice is going to be condemned. There is going to be absolute peace and righteousness and holiness when he comes. Because he's going to come in power. And in power, he's going to deliver. And in power, he's going to judge. We haven't followed myth. We follow the truth. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you and praise you for your goodness and your grace and, and uh, Lord, uh, the reality and the truthfulness of your coming. Lord, prepare us, our hearts, instill within us that confidence and that hope and that uh, great assurance that we are going to be in your presence for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, we have time this morning. Uh, I quit five minutes early. Uh, I would like us to sing our hymn, and then after we sing the hymn, would the praise band come back and we could sing one more time, Days of Elijah? we do that? Okay, so let's sing the hymn, and then we'll sing Days of Elijah. Okay.